0: It's great to see everybody here today. And uh, man, I know it's Labor Day weekend, but boy, am I glad to see that you didn't have anywhere to go either. (laughs) I am so glad, because I tell you what, I have preached to an empty sanctuary. You know, uh, remember COVID? It's hard to preach when ain't nobody in the building, you know, but hey, I'm so thrilled that you made it a priority to be here today. We are continuing with a series called Piercing the Darkness based on the book of Romans. I'm not doing every single verse, but I am doing by subject matter some groupings inside that text today. And so I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of the word and we're going to be reading Romans chapter one, verses eight through 15 today. So would everybody read with me? First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how I constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you, I long to see so that, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray as we look at your word that you open our minds and our hearts. Yes, fill us with knowledge and wisdom that we may not be aware of, remind us of things that we may have known but forgotten, but more importantly, we pray that the Holy Spirit will speak the language of our hearts, where decisions, where influences and morals and values come from, I pray the Spirit speaks our language in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. you can be seated today. So we're continuing on in this series called Piercing the Darkness because uh, on the book of Romans, because the, uh, the day in which Paul lived was very similar in some of the things that we are addressing. In his day, we, the, the Roman culture was going off the rails. There was a chasm that was developed, had developed and was continuing to develop between the Roman culture versus what Christian values were. And we see that today, and I'm not going to elaborate at a lengthy time, but I think many of you can just see the trends are concerning and frustrating at times. But we need to know the Bible has answers, our response. In fact, I will tell you this, when when we're looking at this text, things were bad, and things were about to get worse. Now, how many know that's a message nobody wants to hear? And that's why that's why Paul was writing to the Roman Church. He was saying, "Look, I know things are bad, but here are some answers." But what was not forecast is actually things could or were going to be getting worse. But as we look at this, here's the reason: because Nero was the empire or was the emperor from 54 AD to around 68 AD. If you know anything about Roman history, and I'm not give a whole history background on him, but we know from the day he took office to the day he exited office was a very dark time, not just for Rome itself, but especially for those who were followers of Christ. He was responsible for thousands upon thousands of death and, and, and uh, the persecution worldwide that happened to the Christians. And so Paul's writing on these various topics, and I have them there, and these are some that I want to be talking about. We talked last week, he addressed the basics of the faith, Today I'm going to be looking at the key issue, what does Paul say leadership is? And then he talked about sexuality, government, racism, the Holy Spirit. How many know if you're going to live in a dark place, you might need the Holy Spirit? And then he also talked about holiness and what Christian liberty looks like. In other words, the church was starting to get fragmented on how to address these things. And he was saying, look here's how we keep the unity among us so that we stay focused on what this is all about but i want to just remind you the apostle paul has influence over a church in rome and many of you may not know this he hasn't even been there yet that's one of the reasons he had to write this was here he was viewed as a church authority a person who had influence And yet he had never been to the church and you would think, you know, wow, church in Rome, wouldn't that have been one of the more predominant, one of the more powerful churches or at least garnering his attention? And we read from the text, yes, and he had tried many times to get there. We're not going to unpack all the reasons why, but he just says, I've been prevented and I've not been able to get there. And so he writes this because he is intending to come. And so he's making them familiar with who he is and what he teaches. But here's what's interesting about this. How do you introduce yourself as a leader to people you have yet to meet? If you have that mindset, you understand the text that we just read today. He's trying to explain to them, I don't know you. I mean, I know about you. You know about me. I've had people tell me about who you are. And you've had people come to you to tell you who I am. And we are going to be meeting one day. But as of right now, neither of us have met each other in person. And yet you see me as a church authority. How many know that That could be a little awkward? So he is introducing who he is But at the same time, he is showing them what his leadership style is like. And so how people view your leadership is critical during challenging and or controversial times. Many of you know I coach other leaders and the key point I always try to make letting them know is, listen, it's key that you do things right when things are good and things are peaceful. Because when things get under strain, they will test you as a leader. Okay, And you need to have a background of showing that you do what is right and you do it the right way. There is doing what is right and there is doing it the right way. Sometimes we're not frustrated by doing right, we're frustrated at the process that we have to use to do what's right. We call it taking shortcuts. And that's where many leaders will sabotage themselves. They had good intentions to do the right thing. It just wasn't the day you needed to take a shortcut. When you follow process, people can have confidence that you know what you're doing. They need to see the process, not just the right decision. Come on, you can say amen to that. We don't want to just see right. We want to know the process so that we know it's being done right for the right reasons. And so Paul is doing this. He's starting to introduce who he is. So he wrote this around 57 AD. So you can see that Nero has already been in office three years. And already the pendulum has begun to swing. And some tough things are starting to appear. And they recognize that Rome is really going to be getting more decadent if that's even possible. They already were, but it looks like Nero's going to take them to the outer fringes of decadence. And what does that mean for the followers of Christ? Well, it means there's going to be a lot of issues and challenges for them as they try to live out their faith. So, while there are some similarities in church le- or between leadership in the church and leadership in the marketplace, there are some significant differences as well. And everybody said amen to that. So, there are principles that of leadership that work in a church and will work on Main Street, but there are some differences inside the church world, our faith world, that we won't employ, that maybe some people think can work on in the marketplace. You go, but as a person of faith, I, I don't ascribe to some of those ways, and we're gonna be looking at some of that. Now, I'm not introducing a new concept here. Even Jesus, uh, you know, the world's greatest leader pointed this out, the difference between faith-based leadership and just what we call leadership in the marketplace, even Jesus did this. We read this in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. This is the story of where uh, two of the disciples, their mom went to Jesus and said, Would you mind if one of my sons uh, sat on your left and the other one sat on your right when you came into your kingdom? How many remember that? And the other, t- other ten disciples were angry that they were bucking for a, a promotion and using their mother. And, and, and Jesus told mama, no. And, uh, but in essence, after he settles that, he says this. Jesus called them together and said, so he's calling all the disciples because he knows oh, there's some frustrations and some disgruntlement going on. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. So he's saying, listen, we all know how leadership works out here. Here's how it works. We all know that. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So you back it up, you start to see here, he says, no, leaders are servants. So this is a concept that has floated from time to time, and it, it really doesn't work unless you come from the biblical values standpoint. I've heard people who don't have biblical values using this concept. It's called servant leadership. Some of you may have heard that in your, your venues of where you are. And what's, what is servant leadership? That's what Jesus was promoted. Servant leadership is this. Now, listen to how I say this. I finally have authority to be able to help people do what is right. Has everybody caught me there? A person who is not a servant leader who gets authority can come into this. I finally have authority, and now I can get my agenda or my group's agenda accomplished. Oh. But a servant leader says, I'm here to help you, to help you to be able to do what is right that no one should impede your ability to do what is right, nobody should interfere with your ability to do what is right. So my servant leadership is designed to help you, to serve you, so that you can do what's right and not have other people interfere. And as a servant leader, if somebody is trying to interfere with that, I will use my authority to stop them. Now, if you'll think back that's how this nation got started. Ah, now you, now you start to see that they said, we have a nation that was imposing its will on people and they were no longer being afforded the right to do what was right. They were actually being forced to sometimes do wrong, and their ability to do what was right was being taken from them, and the resources were being forwarded to other people, and they said, that has to stop. And so the leaders who stepped up at that time, if you study history, and by the way, there's no perfect leaders. If we're going to start if we're gonna start impeaching imperfect leaders, we won't have anybody of history and we won't have anybody today, okay? We just, but these leaders, they stepped up and they just said, yeah, and then they wrote freedom of speech, freedom of religion. If you start, so you start to see things from a little different angle that, f- that they wanted to use their leadership, their influence, to say, let's use that not to take from people, but to give them a platform to do what's right without fear of somebody coming after them and attacking them. And notice they said they were inalienable rights from God. Now, I know that's a little bit of a history lesson, but it's important, like I said, to understand, and yes, God used imperfect people to do that and that ought to inspire you, that means you have hope. Because I'm sure if we put your life under a microscope, we could find something that would disqualify you. And you say, what do you know? The Bible. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Who belongs to the for all have sinned category? I'm looking for the perfect people who just sinned. <sighs> right, Okay. So, let's begin to look at this. So what we're gonna do, I don't necessarily have a point so much as we're gonna look at a verse and just go after that verse and say, what does it say about Paul's leadership? Because it would have been interesting to know how Paul, you know, what was Paul like? Well, he actually, the verses that we read, he uses to show them the type of leader that he is and to let them become acquainted with more who he is before he shows up. And so, I actually had 16 characteristics. (laughs) And I'm not gonna do that to you. So I'll do what I did in the first service. I said, I'm gonna go and get as many in as I can, and then when time is up, time is up, okay? But it's interesting to see all the various dynamics that Paul shows about his leadership. And here's the thing, every one of you in this room is a leader. You may not have a title, but leaders influence. And if you have the ability to influence anything, you're a leader. You may not have the title, like I said, but if, where you work, if you have the ability to affect a customer, if you have the ability to affect a coworker, if you have the ability to affect your boss, if you have the ability to go home and affect your children, let me tell you, if you don't lead at home, they'll volunteer to lead you. everybody's a leader. Officially or unofficially, we all carry influence. The question is, what am I using my influence for? And what are the principles that guide my influence? That's the key point. What is guiding my influence? Why do I believe the way that I do and and act the way that I do? So we're going to begin. Verse uh, verse 8, everybody read this with me. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. So the first thing we see here is this. A leader has a thankful spirit. What does that look like? Well, I can probably tell you what it looks like more if if, if the leader isn't thankful. If you have a leader who is not thankful, the followers and the people that that person is influencing know they have a very ungrateful leader. It's really obvious because there's no appreciation for the people that are, uh, are, in, are in contact with that leader and certainly anybody who comes to, you know when you've run into an ungrateful leader, they're not fun to be around and you certainly dread working for them. And what I find interesting is this, the context that Paul is in is a miserable context Rome is off the rails, and Rome is about to go even further off the rails. Remember, he's writing this letter to Rome while in Corinth. So he's writing while in a place of darkness to another place of darkness. And he says, first of all, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you. You know, one of the things we need to be grateful for is this, is for each other. Life is miserable when you do it by yourself. And you're right, some people that God brings into our life have more imperfections than we would prefer to have to put up with. But let's, let's all be honest, we all have our imperfections. I didn't say look at them. <sighs> okay, we all have imperfections. Okay, your friend has imperfections. Oh yeah, 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 let's be quick to judge them, not so quick to confess my own. Right. Yeah. So we need to be thankful. A a leader is thankful for not, uh, is not ungrateful for what they don't have. A leader is grateful for what they do have. I'm grateful for the people that God's put in my sphere of influence. I'm thankful for the context that he's put me in. Sometimes I hear people say this, yeah, but you have no idea the miserable context that I'm in and the people that I have to endure. And you know what my response to that is? God must have a lot of confidence in you that you can swing the pendulum there. God doesn't send leaders into places that have peace. He sends them into places that are in conflict. And he says, fix it. Yeah, I'll wait for the amens to die down on that one. Yeah, leaders, if they're not careful, they get into this. Give me the green grass. Can I just tell you something? There's no more green grass out there to inherit. Go grow your own. <laughs> Find a field that's desolate. Find a field that's got dirt and missing nutrients. And Buy the field that nobody wants and figure out a way to spin it around. Why don't you learn how to turn a desert into a garden? Then we'll all be convinced you're a leader. Yeah, that went over well today. (laughs) Ah, Sometimes we forget what leadership is. I can fix that dirt field. I can fix that toxic culture. I can take a group of people working at a business who have no purpose and meaning, and I can give them purpose and meaning. I didn't say it'd be easy, but I I know I can give that to them. I can put things in order to where that we all are beneficiaries, that not only the people who work here are beneficiaries, that people will actually like coming to us. A leader says, I know it's bad, that's why God sent me. I'll fix it. All right, I can always tell when it's time to move on. He then also says something unique to them. He says, because your faith is being reported all over the world, leaders have the ability to see a bigger picture and put in context what is happening in a microcosm and go, let me show you how this contributes to the big picture. Because oftentimes people will say this, well why, what does it matter what I do? I'm only one fish in the big ocean. Why why is it such a big deal that I care? Why is it such a big deal what I'm doing? Why should I have this outlook? And a leader comes and says, let me show you the big picture. And what he does here is this, these Christians in Rome were probably already on the verge of being some of the most persecuted people already, and it was about to get worse. These people don't have FaceTime and messaging and all this and stuff to be able to find out what's happening in other places. All they know is, it's lousy around here to live in Rome. And Paul says, I just want to let you know, man, everybody's talking about you guys. Really? Yeah. People are like, how about those Christians in Rome? Everybody else would be checking out. I'd be checking out. Can you imagine living in a city where Nero is the emperor? And if Nero is out and about in the marketplace and you happen to take the wrong street and you are on now the street that Nero is coming down with his entourage, It was required of every Roman citizen to kneel and say, Caesar is Lord. You had about five seconds to make up your mind. And if you didn't do it, you didn't have to worry about retirement. In fact, you didn't even have to worry about your next meal. Because that was an offense that was judged to be death, executed. So, Christians walking up and down Rome had a very conchy, has anybody heard of Nero's out today? Because I don't want to hit the same street he's going to be on because I'm not kneeling. And I'm not going to say, G- I'm not going to say, Caesar's Lord. I'm not going to say it. And so, these other Christians in other communities, you know, they're like, anybody, why do those people live there? Why don't they, like, get out? How do you live for God in a town where every day you walk outside? You're gambling with your life. I don't want to be on the wrong street at the wrong time, and certainly not with my family. And Paul's telling him listen, man, everybody is talking about you guys, about your faith about how strong you are, and that's what I say. Sometimes a leader has the ability to see the script on a grander scale and bring it back and go, what you do today does matter because people hear about you. People talk about you. Your stories get out. They make a difference. Your life, listen to me, your life matters. It matters that you stand your ground. It matters that you live the faith that you live. It is a big deal. And everybody said amen. Amen. Verse nine, let's everybody read it. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you. So there's four things that you see in here. Notice he says God uh, is my witness. So leaders take oaths. Why? Because oaths give a declaration to people under the influence of a leader what their intentions and values can be. It's good that leaders take oaths. We want to hear them say certain things and make certain commitments. That is a good thing. About seven or eight months ago, I had the privilege in January of being at my son's church on the north side of Baltimore, and he was being installed as a pastor, and they asked me to come do the installation, and so I preached the message that morning, but then I brought uh, my son and daughter-in-law up, and I had a thing written, and it was an oath about a commitment that to this church, you will be the, 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 the resource of the gospel, that you will love them. You are here. And, we read, and they said, I do. And I had the congregation stand and say that we support the pastor and we will endeavor to build the kingdom of God. So they made an oath. It's good that we take oaths because it shows our intent. It shows our heart. It shows our commitment. Then you also read here that he says, in my spirit in preaching. I serve in my spirit in preaching. So he has a deep drive. That's what, notice it's a small S, not the big S. The big S is the Holy Spirit. Everybody got it? Big S, capital. Okay, this is a small S. So he's talking about his human spirit. And he says, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching. So what he's talking about, he says, I have a deep drive to do this. This is a big deal to me, he's saying let me tell you something about leaders. They have a fire that other people can't put out. If you're in any type of leadership, business, government, church, school, there are a lot of days that if you didn't have a fire inside, you would just say, forget this. Come on, you know that's true. If you didn't have a fire inside you, you would say, forget it. This is not worth it. Leaders have a fire inside of them. It says, it may be raining outside, but you can't touch my holy fire on the inside. Leaders, hey, I've got a fire inside. Go ahead and throw a wet log on it. I'll burn that up too. You don't have enough wet logs to get me to stop. Why? Because a leader says, this is what I'm designed to do. This is what I know I'm supposed to do. See, by the way, if you can go through scripture, you will see these types of leaders, okay? Let's talk about Moses. He got a holy fire in the middle of the desert. Now, he got discouraged like any leader does. He got frustrated as any leader does. The children of Israel decided not even to follow him at some time. Hey, his own sister and brother turned on him. Okay? And you read some of the prayers that God, uh, that Moses said to God. I love this. He goes to God and he says, "Hey, your people." And then God responds back to Moses and says, "Yeah, I don't know what you're going to do about your people." And then Moses prays back, "You know, God, you need to deal with your people." And God says, "Moses, I will help you to deal with your people." What's it like to be a people that nobody wants? Not even God. And, there, and he, basically, Moses is trying to advocate, you know, I'm no longer a leader because nobody's listening. And God was basically saying, I called you in the desert, you have a fire, stop trying to put it out. I put you there. Be the leader. You can read this in David's story, same thing. King, he's serving, king, he's ster- serving in a stellar way. All of a sudden decides that David needs to die and is trying to work a scenario that would be favorable to, to Saul, the king, and, and, and so David has to go on a run for his life. But David knew he had been called to be the king one day. Let me tell you something. Leaders have a fire that they learn to cultivate, and they don't leave it in the hands of other people. They there's a, there's a we use people to discover we use people to help us grow they they share with us they invest in us but at some point let me tell you this at some point you are responsible for your own fire and you can't blame anybody else and then you know what you do as a leader you go out and you teach other leaders how you build your own fire Because it's never just about you. You say, let me, let me help you because I've been where you are. I know what it's like to want to throw in the towel. I can remember days. I almost quit. I almost quit. And you just say, let me tell you how I kept the fire going, how I kept myself, myself maintained. Let me show you what I did. And now I live in a stage of my life, there is absolutely no way anybody could throw a bucket of water on me. I'm, bur- I'm burning too hot and too bright. I'm in this period let it rain my fire is hotter than the rain amen all right well since you enjoyed that so much I'll give you another one it says he's true to the gospel so right away Paul and we had that in the first eight, 8 or 7 or 8 verses or 7 verses that we read last week he's saying I am I'm not just preaching I'm not just out there throwing ideology I am preaching the gospel. So let me just say this. You're always safe to come to the bridge because we always read the Bible first. Right? I mean, that's the whole idea. That's why, why do we, why is the preaching always the Bible first and then we get in? Because that's why we're here. And that's the authority. Not some person in another city, some person in another country or a state, not even myself. I'm not the final authority. God's word is the final authority. So we start with the final authority. And Paul's saying, just so you know, when I show up, I'm going to be preaching the gospel of his son. That's what you'll be getting from me. Another thing that you read here is this. He says, I'm concerned about you. He says, I constantly remember you. What does that concern look like? Again, going to the opposite is probably the best way to describe it. When you're around a leader who's not concerned, you know it. And they're not fun to be around because they, they view people as just human capital, period. No names, no faces. They, they're not concerned. What they're concerned is, is the outcome. They don't care what the body count is. They, what they wanna know is, is did we take the hill? That's it. There's no concern for people's personal dynamics. And let me tell you, leaders care about people because leaders recognize the greatest resource that God has ever given to you is the is a person's life whether they're employee or not the, a, the, a person is the greatest investment that God can hand over to you I want you to, I got I got to share the story so I was working with a businessman I was trying to help him understand this concern mentality and he had asked me to process some stuff with him about his business. And so I said, what's the bottom line with your business? Well, you know, I like to do all this stuff in Africa. And I want to go, you know, and I build, you know, houses and I build a school and a church. And I said, so you're kind of like into community reformation. Yeah, yeah. That's. So he said, that's the bottom line. I do this business so I can do all that stuff over there. I said, okay. I said, well, let me ask you this. Uh, do you have any big projects in front of you? He said, what has that got to do with Africa? I said, just follow my line of thinking here. I said, do you have any big projects in front of you? He said, yeah, I'm getting ready to bid on this project. And I said, is it something in your sweet spot or or is it something that's big? He said, no, it's big. I said, "Will you have to hire anybody if you get the contract. he's like, what has this got to do with Africa? I said, will you stay with me, man? I said, "Will you have to hire people if you get the contract. He says, yeah, I'll I'll have to hire five people immediately. I said, well, what will those people do when you pay them? He said, what do you mean? I said, what do they do with their paycheck? I don't know, pay their bills. By then, he's wondering, am I talking to the right guy? I said, just hang with me. What do they do with their paycheck? I don't know, pay for a place. I said, so they pay for rent or they buy a house? Yeah. They put food on the table. Yeah. Send their kids to school. Yeah. If they go to church, they probably give to a church. Yeah. Yeah everything you're trying to do for the people in Africa. I said, who told you missions was only on the other side of the great pond? Isn't it missions here and missions there? You're using your business to do exactly for the people here that you do for the people over there? It's the same thing. Who told you that if you do it here, you're a filthy capitalist? But if you do that over there, you're the great missionary. I said, if you've ever hired somebody who's been unemployed, they're thrilled to get a job. Now, I've got a house. My kids have stability. I said, how about this? It's a win-win. I said, let me give you a prayer, buddy. I said, why don't you pray that God give you the contract, not because you come out ahead, but you have five people that you can change the destiny of their family by giving them a job. And some of them might be on the point of being evicted. So you might be saving a whole family from being evicted. Why don't you ask God for the contract for them? A month later, he called me. He said, I got the, I got the contract. And he said, I've already hired the five. And he said, just as you said, one of them was on the point of being evicted. I said, and God used you to save them. I said, trust me, they're going to be interested in hearing more about life from you. Don't miss it. And I said, no, by the way, it also set up another missions trip to Africa, didn't it? He said, yes, it did. I said, win-win, baby. And I say that to you. The world calls a growing business here filthy capitalism. But if you were a follower of Jesus, I say he's using your business as a mission field to influence people, to change their lives, to be, be, a, be providing for See, it. See, ma- for leaders like all of us, it matters to us what happens to people. Please say amen that you agree with that. And if God wants to grow your business so you can help three people, why don't you ask him to give you the ideas to grow it? Some of you don't even have a business. You're working for somebody else, but you've got ideas. Why don't you give God a reason to grow you, to give your, give your business a start and to grow it, saying, God, this is not about just putting food on my table. I would like to put the food on the table for three other families. I would like to change the momentum of three families. Please bless me so I can do that. Oh, trust me, God loves partners like that. Everybody said amen. Verse 10, read it out loud. In my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. So the leaders are committed to prayer. Why? Because they know there are doors that if God doesn't open, it's not happening. It's not going to work. You can do everything right, and it's not enough. God sometimes has to put you in the right place at the right time with the right people and you can't know what their calendar is but God sees their calendar, your calendar and he makes it all happen. So you understand that God, if he doesn't have your back and help you, your work is, is in vain. By the way, I, I, I told this first service so I gotta tell you this. You've heard me say that your work is worship, right? Okay, seven of you remember us. So let me remind the rest of you. Our work is worship. It's one of the ways we worship God is by work. So I was talking to a business owner this morning, a female, and I said, well, hey, how's work? And she goes, man, I am absolutely swamped, buried, inundated. I I am just overwhelmed. I said, wow. So what you're telling me is God has blessed you with a lot of worship. and she just looked at me i said if your work is worship he's giving you an abundance of worship hasn't he yes and i needed to be reminded of that she said <laughs> i said no it's really it's the lens with which i said man you need to walk in there and god thank you for all this worship that you're giving me please help me to do it well he will See, sometimes if we're not careful, we fall into the trap of mainstream society. That's what you say when you're overwhelmed. My uh, business is just, and I said, if you've ever talked to somebody who's not getting the contracts, they would love to have your problem. God, thanks for, all the, thanks for all the worship that you're directing my direction. I promise to sing my way through all of it and enjoy it. Amen? We also see here that he's cooperative with God's will. He said, at last by God's There's an element that if God's not doing it, I'm wasting time. Even Jesus said this. He said, I can only do what my Father, I can only do what I see my Father doing. So Jesus was saying, What you see me doing is because I saw my Father doing it. But if He's not doing it, I can't do it. And then Jesus even taught the prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. So he's saying, don't be asking God for your will, ask him for his will. Show me what you're doing and then I'll cooperate with that. God, here are my needs. I just don't know what you're doing in those needs. So show me your activity in these needs and I'm in. I just, I need to know that I'm cooperating. He then goes on to say this, that my way may be open for me to come to you. I love a leader who is full of faith that it's going to happen. You're not a leader if you're a doomsdayer. Some people think they have the gift of criticalness. And they go, that's not a gift. That's a flaw. But full of faith. He's like, look, I've tried many times to come to you, and every time it's not happened. But I believe that it's going to happen and I'm going to come. Leaders have the ability, listen to me, to look into a preferred future and bring it back today and tell people, this is what I think. And they know how to tell it to people so that they have the ability to wrestle with it in a healthy way, but see that it's God's activity. Because if, now, the world calls it vision, but you know, in the Christian circles, we call it prophecy. The ability to see something out there and say, this is what we need to do in the business world. This is what we need to do in our family. This is what I need to do with my personal life. Listen, why do you think kids are going to school? Why do you think they go to colleges and choose majors? Why do you think they go to trade school? Because they go, I see something out there and if I get the training, I can do that. That's prophecy. That's the ability to see what's out there and go, if I do this today, I might get to do that tomorrow. And I believe there's going to be a need for it, they say. And so that's why I'm getting what I'm doing. That's how I'm coming about. Full of faith. You're sitting in a place, many of you today, that's a product of that. Six years ago, we were in a school. We had a vision. There's 38 and a half acres out there We think there's more people that will come if we can strategically place ourselves in a better way. We think they want to come. Some of you may not know this, but there hadn't been a church built in the county since 2002. Churches had gone through the process, but by the time they got through the process, they didn't have the human capital and the resources necessary to continue, and so they fell through the cracks, and they never exercised the permission that they were granted. So by the time we came, it had been 15 years that a church had been built in the county. You know, he's like, why try? Why? why what, you wanna see if you're the next victim of the whole process? And I'm not bad-mouthing our community, that's not my point. But you just wanna say, but this church, not just me, people in the church said, I see it. We need to stick our neck out. We need to do this. Because it wasn't about having a kind, peaceful, All bills are paid, church. It was about an unrealized harvest. We're not building something for us. We're doing it for them. You're sitting in a place where a group of leaders said, I saw the future, we need to do something about it today. And we need to get through this process and we need to figure it out. And we just believe God will help us. He did, you're here. And can I tell you this? I think there's more. You say, where are you gonna put them? On your lap. You will never hear me say, that's good enough. You'll always hear me say, I wonder what's next. Because when you say, that's good enough, you're no longer on a journey. You've pitched a tent, man. And I am not about pitching a tent. I'm about the journey. And my thing is, what's next, God? I have no idea, but I'm excited but I am clueless and that's what makes it exciting. All right, the last thing, a leader is relationally intentional. Why? Relationships matter. No matter how big, no matter how influential you are, you are a person that has to have personal human contact. Read the New Testament. How many individual stories do we have Jesus? This magnanimous leader, and yet he's talking to a woman at a well. He's walking with a guy named Nicodemus. He's having all these one-on-one. Even the Son of God was strategically and and intentionally relational with people. We are the same way. No matter what happens, there's no substitute for us looking somebody in the eye and saying, What's your name? How did you come? Tell me a little bit about yourself. A few weeks ago, I met a family out in the lobby. It's about four weeks ago. That no, was three weeks ago, and they'd been coming for three weeks. And it was about 15 minutes after the service. And uh, they were still here. And I, and I saw them and I thought, they're new. Wow, it's 15 minutes past the service over and they're still here. So I walked up to them I said, hey, I don't think I've met you. And they said, no, we haven't. We've only been here three weeks. And I said, well, man, I'm honored to meet you today. And I said, tell me about yourself. And he introduced the whole family that was with him. And, and I said, uh, I said, man, I'm impressed. We've been out of church for 15 minutes and you're still here, he said. This is a very difficult church to get out of. I said, you don't say. He said, yeah, everybody here wants to talk to you. He said, we, we went out, he pointed at these doors, he said, I went out those doors over there and we're trying to get over there. He said, pastor, we're only halfway across the lobby and that's 15 minutes. He said, everybody's wanting to talk to us. And I said, wait till you get outside. We even got VDOT cooperating with us to slow you down. I said, we're determined to keep you around to talk. <laughs> and he said, but really, he said, man, this is, this is amazing. He said, I can't tell you how many churches we have visited over our life and nobody spoke to us. Nobody. And here, you're like, I gotta go, man. <laughs> oh no, one more question, one more thing, one more, one more, one more. He said, and I think we got invited to six connection groups. I said, man, that's awesome. But my my point being is, if you're new here today or you've been a founding member of the bridge, can I tell you that's what we're about is what I just said. People matter. Has everybody got that? People matter. If you're in a hurry, we don't accommodate that well. That's why we take three minutes in the middle of the service. I like to look around for the introverts who sit down after 15 seconds and go over to them and mess them up. I always, here's my standard line. It's only 15 seconds and you're sitting down, so you have a choice. You can stand up and talk to me or I will stand here for two minutes and 45 seconds and I will carry the entire conversation with you. Do you know they always stand up? Come on, man. It's about Jesus, and it's about people. Please say amen to that. Come on, let's stand and we'll wrap up the service this morning. Can you give Him a praise right now? Come on, lift your hands and give Him a praise right now. Come on, let's thank Him. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, Lord.